Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Truly saved our lives, God. Christ truly stands alone. I pray this morning we would truly stand amazed who he is. God, overwhelm us this morning with who Jesus is. Our brothers and sisters in Antioch, this was true of them. Those who went and proclaimed the gospel, this was true of them. God, and they live their lives in response to your goodness and grace. We can't earn that. We don't live good lives to earn anything from you. We can't do that. But I pray that we would live lives of faithfulness, lives that proclaim Jesus out of response for all that you have done. We want to see Jesus made known because we're amazed by him, because he saved us and rescued us. I pray these next few minutes as we open your word, we learn about what happened in Antioch, that we would apply these principles to ourselves. We see what characterized the church there, the faithful witness there, that we would apply these things to our lives and ourselves, that we would be a church then that is so faithful and so committed to Christ and so on fire that the world would look at us and go, man, they look like Jesus. May that be true of us, just like it was in Antioch so many years ago where the followers, the disciples of Jesus, were first called Christ ones, Christians. May that be what characterizes us as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 11. We'll be reading verses 19 through 30. It is good to be back with you uh, this morning. A lot of you have asked about our vacation. We did have a great time uh, away. We did a whole lot of nothing. This is a good vacation. Maybe I'm just getting old, but uh, that just feels good. And uh, we had fun just playing in the lake and throwing balls at each other and throwing each other in the lake and uh, played a lot of games. I think I won every single one of them. Seriously, really? Okay, uh, maybe not all of them, most of them. Uh, but no, we had a great time. Uh, did some fishing with Zach. He caught a big fish. 17 inches, smallmouth bass. It's pretty impressive. And he's trying to give me the rod. Dad, I can't bring it in. I'm like, dude, I don't have a license. I'm not touching that thing. You know, it's all you. And, uh, so, and, and he got it. He got it in the boat. So that was, uh, was good. So um, I'm not proud of him or anything. Just, uh, but uh, no, we had a good time. So thanks for asking. It was refreshing. We're thankful for those times away. But always good to be back worshiping with our church family. Acts 11, I want to start reading verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution. Let me stop right there. This is referencing back to where we were several weeks ago. Acts chapter 8. If you recall, uh, Stephen was martyred for his testimony. And uh, a man named Saul of Tarsus was overseeing his, his murder, his execution. And after he was killed with Saul at the heart of it, the persecution in Jerusalem ramped up to such an extent that the believers there, many of them had to leave. They had to flee for their lives. Uh, to, had to flee the persecution. So that's what this is referring to, that initial persecution that caused the believers to flee. Uh, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, and Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, to the Greek speakers there, that's what the word Hellenist means, Uh, spoke to them also, preaching 
the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. They were given a nickname. If we were in youth group and doing this, I'd probably go around the room and ask, does anyone have a cool nickname? And there's usually a fun story associated with that. We're not going to do that here. But right, some of you have nicknames, nicknames of people in your family. Um, I'm not going to tell you we have nicknames. Tyler does, yep. Uh, he's got a lot of nicknames in our family. Um, a lot of my kids, I'm not going to tell you all of them. There is one, you probably, I get asked all the time, like, we'll, we'll call Carissa. And someone will be like, what did you just call her? And you've probably heard us say DACA or DOCS. And uh, that probably the majority of the time we call Chris our home, that's what we're, hey, DACA, come here, or DOCS, you know, come up here. And, and um, this was from when she was little, um, I don't know, three or four years old. I'm buckling her into her car seat. And she looked at me with all the consternation of a little three- or four-year-old face, and she goes, no. I'm like, what do I do, you know? And she goes, DACA, do it. I'm like, DACA? Who's DACA? <laughs> me. And she couldn't say her name, so she called herself DACA. So it's stuck all these years later. So she's DACA. That's what we call her. Da- and then we shorten it, DOCS, when we don't feel like saying two syllables, you know. And uh, uh, Brazil, Brazil, Brazilians love nicknames. And unlike the United States, right, we're, we're like very cautious. And Brazilians aren't. They, I mean, if you have some physical thing that sticks out about you, that's going to be your nickname. Um, I'm not going to tell you who this one is. We had one uh, down there because I value my life, and she will kill me. Um, but we had one down there years ago, and she was giving the kitchen helper some grief in a fun way back and forth. And I said, hey, what's her nickname? And a couple of them looked at her, and they started laughing. And I'm like, what? And they go, Kotoko. And I'm like, Kotoko, what does that mean? And they're like, Little Stump. And I'm like, oh, it's because of her size. So they gave her the nickname Little Stump. Um, we have uh, Gagu. Gagu, is, uh, his name is Oseas. Everyone calls him Gagu. Um, Gagu talks like this, like, 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 like this. He stutters. You know what Gagu means in, in Portuguese? Stutterer. That's his nickname. That's everyone knows him as Gagu. Uh, years ago, the Caskey Boys were on a Brazil trip with us. Guess what the nickname given to one of the Caskey Boys was? The Pole. Isn't that great? The Caskies are like, you know, they're like six feet, 19 inches tall. And, you know, also, uh, the nickname of the pole, one of the girls with us, she, she's really, uh, really white, um, like couldn't tan at all, just white. They nicknamed her the ghost um, because they're like, we can see through you. Um, you're so white, you know. So, uh, you know, it's it, generally with a, with a um, you know, a physical thing, something that stands about, about you, you get a nickname that goes with that. That's what happened here in Antioch. There's something that stood out about this group of people. And the world around them assigned them a name, Christian, Christ one, one who looks like Jesus. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. What led to that? I want to talk to them this morning. What led to that? What led 
to a faith that was so vibrant by these people in Antioch that caused the outside world to go, Christian, one who's like Jesus. What led to that? We're going to unpack that. A couple things, I think this is always important, right, to orient us to a passage, um, the context. So a couple things just to orient us to this passage. The main point of this passage is this. This is the first major turning, uh, large-scale turning of Gentiles to Jesus in the book of Acts. This is the last step, really, in what has been building in Acts since the day of Pentecost. Paul is reintroduced again here in the narrative. And now we'll begin the the significant transition of Paul away from Peter to Paul. Not that Peter became inactive already, but just the emphasis now shifts to Paul in the mission to the Gentiles. The emphasis also shifts away from Jerusalem to Antioch. Jerusalem is still there. The church is still active. We know from Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, church is still active. But now the loci of, of, of Christian activity is now Antioch. Antioch was the provincial capital, the Roman provincial capital in, um, in Syria, uh, which is also striking, right? Because a few weeks ago when we were talking about Cornelius, we were in Caesarea, which was the Roman provincial capital in Judea. So we see that through the Spirit, God very strategic in where these missionary things are happening. Antioch was also, I didn't know this, just learn this, Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, behind only Rome um, and Alexandria and Egypt, and then you had Antioch. So it becomes a new base of operations um, in the missionary spread of the gospel, another step away from Jerusalem. What you have now is a major church outside Jerusalem that becomes the birthplace of foreign missions. Antioch was the birthplace of foreign missions. Um, I thought, again, sorry for my World War II references, but um, the, the war in the Pacific, one of, one of the significant things that had to happen, Pearl Harbor was our major base there, but it was too far away. And so what the Navy had to do, what the Army had to do, is they had to move west and take over these different islands. And Ulithi uh, was an atoll out there a lot closer to Japan, to Japan than Pearl Harbor, and, and they had to take that over. And at one point, I think I read, there was about 700 Navy ships in the middle of this atoll, and this is where they did operations, this is where they repaired ships, this is where they restocked and resupplied, and it was this, this new launching point. That's what Antioch becomes. Pearl Harbor, Jerusalem, was, is significant, important, but there's now a new base of operations that's opening the gateway to the Gentile world, and this is where Paul's missionary journeys are now based out of as he takes the gospel west and proclaims it. So Antioch is significant. That said, there's a firm link, especially in this passage, established between Jerusalem um, and Antioch. Right? These churches aren't in competition with one another. Barnabas becomes this link between the two churches, and we see their link and their understanding that they are linked together at the end of the passage where the Antioch church gives to support uh, the persecuted believers in Jerusalem. It's a beautiful picture of unity uh, in Christ here. I want you to catch this, and I wish we had time to unpack all this, but I want to think of the missional nature now of Acts in the Antioch church. Uh, The references to travel, just in these verses that we read this morning, there's references to travel in verses 19, 20, 23, 25, 26, 27, and 30. There's references to sending in verse 22, 29, and 30. There's references to missionary activity in verses 19, 20, 23, and 26. And there's references to successful missionary work in verses 21, 24, and 26. This communicates effort in the missional outward focus of the church at Antioch and Jerusalem. 
outward-focused, sending, traveling, going, taking the gospel, right? We're to be missional. We see that here. And in the midst of all this, a definitive identity emerges, Christian. In the midst of all of this missionary work, Christian is what these people become characterized as. These believers living in Antioch, uh, before they came to Christ, would have been worshipers of many false deities. Apollo, Artemis, Zeus, other Syrian cults of Baal, the mother goddess. As part of this, moral laxity would have been significant in Antioch. Christianity would have been very distinctive there. Does that not sound unlike our culture? (laughs) Right? The faith of the Antioch converts was affirmed by Barnabas. As he comes from Jerusalem, he sees that their faith is real and expresses itself in obvious ways. So here's what I want to talk about this morning. What are some components that led to the birth of the church in a place like Antioch and the resultant faith that stood out in the third largest city of the empire? Stood out, Christianity stood out so much there where a new name is coined to describe these people. A new name by the culture around them. In the third largest city, Christianity is noticed and given a name by the culture around them. How did this happen? How did this happen? Well, first of all, let's go back to a familiar point of Acts, right? I don't mean to keep going back to this because I don't have enough material. Um, Luke does this. Luke continues to, he brings us up again. He launches into it in chapter 8. He brings it up again in verses 19 to 20. Those who are scattered because of the, uh, the persecution, they go and they proclaim the gospel. And we see again that persecution and hardship fueled the church's expansion. Let this be encouraging to us. This is often the way it works. We think, I'll serve Christ when it's easy. We'll serve, you know, it would be so much easier to serve Jesus in a, in a culture that, that wasn't accepting of certain things and wasn't so hostile to the gospel. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be any easier. This is often how God works. This is when Christianity shines the brightest. Let this be encouraging to you this morning, right? What the enemy means for evil, God turns for our good and for his glory. Don't be discouraged by opposition and rejection. Press on, right? There was a coach at a university just in the state south of Michigan. I'm not going to mention who because he won't listen to me anymore. But, um, but he had this little formula with his players years ago. It was E plus R equals O. And what it stood for was event plus response equals outcome. And I, I, I love that. These believers had an event. They had persecution. Their response was not, oh, poor us. Their response wasn't to to hole up and try to weather the storm until Jesus comes back. Their response was, okay, we've been pressed out of Jerusalem. Let's go proclaim the gospel somewhere else. And what does that result in? The outcome of the gospel exploding in a place like Antioch. I am generally, when hard times and difficulties come into my life, I am generally the biggest threat to something good coming out of that because of how I respond. They responded by embracing the challenge. They understood that God still works when things are hard. God's not limited by persecution. God's not limited by the darkness of the culture around us. He works. That became part of their story. The next thing we see that fueled their expansion was the ministry of the unnamed. Again, we've talked about this a little bit here in Acts already. The ministry of the unnamed. 
We see in verse 19 and 20, most of those who were scattered preached. Now, it goes on to say they preached mostly only to the Jews. I don't think this is a negative statement. I don't think this was some sinful activity. Most of the cities listed here had large Jewish populations, and they just went and naturally connected with the people who they had a common background with and shared Christ with them. There's nothing wrong with that. But then you had certain ones here from Cyprus and Cyrene who go to Antioch, and these Greek-speaking Jewish Christians begin to preach to the Greek speakers in Antioch. But we're never given their names. They're the common people. This is a key point. The common people in the church. We've seen Philip minister to the eunuch in a small setting. And we see Peter ministering to Cornelius in a one-on-one, our household setting. But the explosion of the gospel on a large scale came from the unnamed many who went and preached the gospel. Not just the apostles, not just the church leaders. So what this communicates to us is that evangelism and discipleship is not just the job of the few. It's not just the job of the church leaders or the missionary. It is all of our job. This is what resulted in the gospel exploding in Antioch. It's all of us. When we were at Summer Splash just a couple weeks ago, Brian did this illustration with the middle schoolers. He threw, I don't know, 80 to 100 tennis balls out into this field. Amelia's laughing. I'm going to mention you by name, Amelia. Is that okay? You're like, you already did, so I know. Um, he threw all these tennis balls. Oh, was it like 100 of them, Amelia, something like that? And he says, Amelia, you go out, and I want you to pick them all up. I'm going to time you. And you're only allowed to carry, you know, you can only use your two hands. You can only carry in your two hands. So Amelia goes out, and being a smart person that she is, She's like, oh, I can use my hands, but I can also start. So she starts stuffing them up her sleeves. She had a hooded sweatshirt on and her little pouch, you know, so sticking out to here with tennis balls and, I don't know, in her hood, right, maybe. And she comes back, and, and she does a good job. But it takes her, I don't know, what did it take you, three minutes? Three, yeah. She's running back and forth, dumping in the bucket. She comes back, and then Brian goes, okay, this is a competition. And then he picks the next person. Do you guys remember who he picked who was second? Oh, okay. So sister, hmm, smarter. And... Uh, and uh, go, go do it. And you can pick anyone you want. She picked the whole group. He said, you can pick his event. She's like, oh, I'm going to pick everybody. Brian's like, oh, okay, you can do that. She picked everybody to go get the tennis balls. And they went, and they went, and came back, and what, like 30 seconds? It was done. Just blew Amelia out of the water. And Brian's point, is he's so much smarter than me. He just comes up with these cool things. His point was this, right? When everyone's involved, we're much more effective. The one person couldn't do it all. They did, but they weren't very efficient. It took a long time. But when everyone did it, we accomplished so much more. That's what happened in Antioch. It wasn't just Barnabas. It wasn't just Peter. It was all everyone working together. And this resulted in the spread of the gospel. I love this quote by R. Kent Hughes. He writes this. Merely verbalizing the indwelling witness of Christ in their hearts, they, the unnamed, were not aware that they were doing anything radical. These unnamed Jews from the island of Cyprus and Cyrene in North Africa, with no official direction, no human instruction, no precedent to follow, nothing but a burning love for Christ, took the message to Antioch without realizing the revolutionary greatness of their act. They 
were the first believers to bring the explosive light of Christianity into the midnight of paganism. Common people just talking about Jesus. They weren't aware they were part of a revolution. They were just talking about what God did in their hearts, and that's what lit the fire in Antioch. Love that. That's what contributed to this vibrant faith in Antioch. What else contributed to it? Well, the Lord's hand, right? Verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. This is key. The Lord's hand is a common metaphor throughout the Old and New Testament. You see it all over the place. And what it is, is describing God's work, his presence, and his power being manifest among his people in places. All over. We could go multiple places. For, you know, just a sampling. First Kings 18, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. We remember all the great things Elijah did. This was because of the hand of the Lord being upon him. In 2 Kings 3.15, the hand of the Lord is on Elisha. We read it throughout Ezra that the hand of the Lord is on him as he prophesies. In Luke 1.66, we read the hand of the Lord was on John the Baptist. Remember the plagues of Egypt in Exodus 9? The hand of the Lord is what caused the plagues and, and, and caused Israel to be released from, from Pharaoh and Egypt's captivity. 1 Samuel 5.6, the hand of the Lord was against Ashdod, and the Philistines were defeated. In 1 Chronicles 28.19, the hand of the Lord is on the building of the temple. Isaiah 66.1-2, uh, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things come to be, declares the Lord. So don't be overwhelmed by the enormity of the task. Don't be overwhelmed as you're challenged to be the ones who carry the gospel to the workplace or to school or to these hard places going, oh no, poor us, it won't happen. The hand of the Lord that operated throughout redemptive history to do these things is what brings about change in people's lives. We just are the faithful testifiers to what God has done. It's that hand. It's so easy to get discouraged, right? I made the mistake this week of being on Twitter or X. What's it, I don't, what's it called now? X, okay. Um, and, and, you know, it kind of customizes the thing based on what you look at. And I, so I, you know, tend to look at a lot of Christian stuff. And, and so you get a lot of these feeds. But it's still, it's so discouraging. I'm on it this week. And all I'm reading is these people who are like, this should be okay. And, and the church is garbage. And, and this, this, and this. And we should, and, and I'm like, oh. Like, why bother? <laughs> it's such a drag. And have you reminded, no, no, no. The hand of the Lord's at work. Evil doesn't win. The hand of the Lord accomplishes its purposes, God's purposes. The youth group kid, former youth group kids, a few years back, actually was during COVID. And I remember this because they... Uh, they called and said, hey, can we get together for lunch? And we had to order from somewhere and went and picked up Chinese and came and sat down in my office. And uh, we're sitting there, and he had come to youth group for part of his, his middle school and high school years, and then there was a big blow-up in their family, and uh, they ended up going separate places and finished his high school somewhere else, but um, went off to college and just completely walked away from the Lord. And uh, went and played football in college and uh, ended up uh, having a big mistake in a championship game that cost his team a championship. And um, he said, I wanted to come and talk to you today. He said, I wanted to tell you my story. He 
said, you know what I was like. And I had all the right answers. did this. He goes, I walked away from the room. And I got involved in this, this, and this, and it was a mess. He said, God got a hold of my life. God got a hold of my life in college. And I want you to know, he's a financial guy now in Chicago, and he goes, I want you to know something. That everything my Awana teachers taught me at Forest Hills, and everything Mr. Molda taught me, and everything I heard in youth group with you, he said, God and his grace brought it all back to my mind when I gave my life back to him. And I wanted you to know that it's worth it. And God still works in our lives, so don't give up on people. Don't give up on kids. God can still do a work, and I want you to know that and be encouraged. That's right. So, so that kid in your night class on Wednesday nights that you're looking at going, like, this kid's going to end up in jail. Like, why am I even bothering? Right? Like, or, what? like, no, no, that's the kid that God's going to use, right? Or this hard person at school or at work, like, they're never going to come to Jesus. No, the, the, the hand of the Lord can, can take care of that. You just be faithful. Keep praying for your friends. Lincoln, keep praying for your friends that you're bringing and trying to win to Christ. Keep praying for them. Don't give up, right? God, God can work. The hand of the Lord, strong thing. That's what turned thing in Antioch when these people were, were faithful. And that's who's on your side. What else resulted in the effective witness there in Antioch? Faithful discipleship by faithful people fuels the establishment of vibrant missional churches. So Barnabas is sent to Antioch. Right? Just like what happened in Samaria. Jerusalem hears about it. They send a representative to check it out, to follow up. Barnabas shows up there and says, yeah, there was a major conversion event that happened. Now, I'm not sure why, at this point in Acts, Barnabas is sent and not Peter again. But this speaks to Barnabas' spiritual maturity and the confidence that the Jerusalem church has in him. He's not just an inspector. So we see him here actively engaged in teaching and discipleship making. But here's the thing. I want to suggest to you today that what will make churches effective, what makes us as a church stand out, is that we have the characteristics and qualities of Barnabas, each and every one of us. We go and that we're Barnabas to our church family. We're Barnabas to one another. Barnabas' mission and Barnabas' ministry of discipleship is what caused this church to be what they were and explode. The power of spirit, the hand of God working through him. So look at some of these characteristics of Barnabas. First of all, he was glad when he saw their faith. This is what brought Barnabas joy in his life. Right? I get excited about a lot of things. I love football. It's kind of shallow. Well, it's not that shallow, but it, it's lesser, right? I get excited about that. I get excited about sports. I get excited about Zach catching a 17-inch smallmouth bass on vacation. Like That was cool. You're excited. Those are good things. But, but does the thing that give me the most joy in life, you know what it needs? It needs to be seeing people grow in their faith. It needs to see people turning their lives over to Jesus Christ. I pray that we get a second chance with this girl who came today to show her Jesus. I remember Paul, remember in Thessalonians when he sends um, Timothy to Thessalonica because he's so worried that their, their faith will collapse under the intensity of the persecution. And Timothy comes back and he says, Paul, they're doing great. They're growing. Remember what Paul's response was? Now I really live. Now I have joy. My life is full because I hear that these people are following Jesus. Does following Jesus and proclaiming his name and making him known, does that bring you joy? I had the opportunity, the privilege last week, last Saturday, to sit in on the last counselor staff gathering at Lake Ann. As they gathered, as they do every Saturday, but the last one. 
and they go around the room and they talk about things and they testify to what God has done. And I see these kids, can't ask them, hold up a finger for how many kids uh, you saw come to Christ this week. One of them was my daughter, and I see her put up a one. One of her campers came to know Jesus, and I saw the celebration and the joy in this room. And I'm like, this is what it's about right here. More than anything else in this life, having joy, seeing people come to Jesus, seeing people walk more closely to Jesus, this characterized Barnabas. This is what he wanted in his life. If this is what we want, it will motivate us, and it will result in us being vibrant and catching the world's attention. Barnabas exhorts the people of God in, in, in Antioch to stay faithful and live with steadfast purpose. This, do we do this with each other? Barnabas understood that the initial thrill of conversion, it wanes, right? It does. All of us, we have the ups and downs in our faith. And what we need is a Barnabas, and what we need to be is a Barnabas, coming alongside and saying, keep going, stay faithful, right? I need that. There days I don't like ministry. There's days I don't like people. I need people going... Stay faithful, Craig. Keep at it. Dan Austin takes me to breakfast right after Jeff leaves, and Dan challenges me. Craig, I understand what this is going to be like, and I want just, I'm here for you. Be faithful. Be fa- I needed that. I needed a brother speaking truth to me, saying, be faithful. I'm thankful for that over these past months. So many of you. Jake, down the hallway from me, just saying, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Others. We need that. I need that. You need that. Now, wilderness. Sorry I keep going back to that. It's just the most recent big thing. It was a day. It was really hard. It was a hard day. And one of the things I was observing, and I, I wasn't quite honestly very good at that week because I was just kind of struggling. I'm watching, and Mike Leong was one of the leaders of this. And these kids would just start praying for each other randomly. Like, they get to the end, like, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. And I'm walking on a portage, and Logan Brewster's in front of me. Logan's struggling. I got to put it in my mind. Pray for Logan. Okay. So I just started praying out loud for Logan. You know what happened next? Logan's there carrying his canoe. Struggling. He starts crying. And he starts praying for me. Thanking God for me. It would be one of my favorite youth group memories ever. There's a lot of them, but that's going to be one of them. So in that moment, I needed that. I needed that. And this brother was a Barnabas to me. Logan, thank you for being sensitive. That's what we need to be to each other. That's what Barnabas was. And what happens is when we're there and pushing each other and encouraging one another and praying for one another, we'll see God transform us and use us like he did to the believers in Antioch. Barnabas constantly portrayed a, a, a servant uh, as a servant who encouraged others and, and, and built bridges. His name, Barnabas, in verse, chapter, 46, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 36, we see that his name means son of encouragement. In chapter 9, 27 of Acts, we see that Barnabas was the one who vouched for Paul when others were afraid to let him join the disciples in, in Jerusalem. He defended the uncircumcised in Acts 15, 2. In Acts 15, 36, we see that he's the one who gave John Mark a second chance. He was a good man, full of Holy Spirit, full of faith. I believe that's one of the things that characterized him. Maybe it was his faith that allowed him to look at John Mark and go, yeah, you really messed up, but I see what you can become. He and Paul split their ways, and, and he takes John Mark, and we know that John Mark became effective for the gospel because of Barnabas' investment in him. The other thing about Barnabas, he realized he needed help. As people came to Christ, he realized he couldn't do it alone. There's humility in Barnabas. He goes to find Saul in Tarsus. 
with the intent to bring him back to Antioch to help him serve there. It wasn't about his notoriety. It wasn't about him being the man. He said, I need help. This communicates to some about, about the nature of discipleship and what it takes for us to be effective and proclaim our witness to the world. We need each other. We need other people to accomplish discipleship. Barnabas travels 130 miles, about eight days, to look for him. He doesn't even know where Paul is at. He gets to Tarsus and looks for him. He has to go find him. Henrik Schnabel, commentator, writes this, The competency of Barnabas is linked, again, not with an effective strategy or plan, but with the integrity of his character, the transforming power of the Spirit, and his faith. Character, the Holy Spirit, and faith. Not charisma, not ability to stand up and sing or preach or whatever. The things that we look at and say, I can't be effective because I don't have that, I don't have this, I can't. Character, integrity, faith, the spirit. Last I checked, those are things that are available to every single follower of Jesus Christ. That is what characterized the Antioch church and made them so powerful and effective in their testimony. So I ask you this morning, do you have Barnabas-like character? We need Barnabases. Good men and women full of the Holy Spirit's. We also get a, nature, a, a, a look here, too, into the, 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 the sense of discipleship. Discipleship takes a long time. It says here in the passage, Paul and Barnabas discipled for a year. We're such an instant culture, right? right? I want to throw a youth group kid in the microwave, hit 30 seconds, have them come out mature in their faith, right? There's no spiritual microwave that does that. It would be so cool if there was, but maybe it wouldn't. Maybe we need the long, hard, the investment over weeks and months. That binds us together more, right? Long. Discipleship takes time. It takes investing our lives. To be quite honest, I think sometimes that's what holds us back for discipleship. Not that because we don't believe in it, because we don't want to do it. I think sometimes we just don't want to make the investment. A year. These guys invested in the believers there. What does that result in? Two things in closing. When, we ha- uh, when the hand of God is behind the work and faithful people have a missional mindset, it will result in this. A faith that expresses itself in obvious ways to the world around us. That's what it did here. The culture, the people of Antioch, give them this name, Christians. Their faith is evident. Barnabas sees it when he gets there. The world around them sees it. It says they were called. This was passive. They didn't call themselves Christians. In fact, we know that it was years later before Christianity actually started calling, you know, appropriating that name for themselves. They referred to themselves as the way, or people of the way, or disciples, or followers. This term Christian has come to be so watered down in our world. What does it mean today? Christian. Some places it means you're just an American. Oh, you're from Grand Rapids. You must be a Christian. <laughs> you know? Jerusalem of the United States. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Um, what does it mean? It's so watered down. It means I'm politically conservative. No, it doesn't. I find it interesting. A lot of people will embrace the name Christian, but they won't embrace the name Christ follower. But here in, in Antioch, it meant something. This nickname meant something. Unlike the watered-down version we have so many places in our world and country today, the world sees them. This term Christian, right? That's, that's what it is. It, the, the ending I-A-N-S is significant. It's like Herodians back then. Herodians were people who were associated with Herod. Caesareans, Caesareans, people who were loyal and faithful to Caesar, Christians, people who were loyal, who modeled Jesus Christ, right? They stood out. We go to Brazil, where the gringos, 
they'll call us affectionately. We're the gringos. Why? We stand out. We're lighter skinned, right? Uh, we're generally sweating. They're not. <laughs> we don't understand anything they're saying. We can't dance and sing at the same time. We can't dance and dance at the same time. We can't dance. <laughs> we stand out in the gringos. We need to stand out. Our Kent Hughes asked this, if a spiritual dynamic operated among us, causing people in our world to reach for a new word to describe us, what would that word be? What words do they use now? Political? Voter for a certain candidate? Conservative? Right? That's often what's associated with us now. How about if when they think of Christianity, they think about Jesus first and foremost, and they say, a Christ one. That's the designator. All these ministry things we've talked about, that's what it resulted in. People looking like Jesus. And lastly, it resulted, this is really kind of close, it resulted in a faith that is confirmed through practical works and actions. Right? A need arises. Agabus, the prophet, goes, there's going to be a famine in Jerusalem, the believers then, uh, their faith is so real that it manifests itself in the practical way of saying, let's, let's, let's give to help our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. They understood that those people had been ostracized. The synagogue and the temple and the safety net that that was in providing for financial needs would not be available to the persecuted Christians in Jerusalem. So their brothers and sisters in Antioch say, let's give it. And I love how it says it here, that the disciples in Antioch decided to give. They responded to a word of prophecy in obedience Because they were disciples, not some nebulous Christian word. They were disciples, people who followed Jesus and responded to the commands of Jesus. And they said, our brothers and sisters need help. And they manifested their faith in practical ways. And that's what made the unbelieving world around them go, man, they're different. Christians. Christians. We apply these things, these principles that we see at work in Antioch. We will also be characterized. And people will notice a difference in us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. As we close here, there's a story about uh, Alexander the Great. Alexander learned that there was a, uh, an Alexander in his army who was named under him, after him. The thing about this Alexander in this army, he was a notorious coward. He was known as a coward throughout the army, in Alexander's army. What he did, he, he brings this guy in and he says to him, is your name Alexander? Yes, it is. Were you named after me? Yes, I was. And Alexander's response was this. Then either be brave or change your name. Christian. Point to Jesus. Be what we call ourselves. Let's stand.